0: Good morning. How are we doing? Good to see you today. Uh, kind of in that uh, hoop fest kind of thing. Anybody like play hoop fest this weekend? Anybody? All right, Bill, good job, man. Over 55 category. Okay, nice, nice. Anybody go to hoop fest? All right, got a few spectators, not many. All right, good, good. Well, uh, it's great to see you uh here today. Uh, Let let me just take a moment this morning and remind us uh, of where we've been and some of the things that we've already looked at uh, in our series on uh, the book of Revelation. So remember, we talked about keeping first things first, right? Our our love for the Lord um, needs to be uh, kept in first place. Uh, The most uh, important, if we're going to grow uh, we can't miss that one. And then we looked at the fact that you and I need to look up and look ahead, right? When we have this sense of, of God's hope, uh, it's crucial because people without hope don't grow and don't change. And then we looked about how our doubts can grow out of relationships and how important it is to manage uh, our relationships and to keep our faith fresh and, and alive. And then last week, we looked and we saw how to stay uncomfortable with all that violates Scripture, right? We should never be comfortable with the things that aren't a part of God's Word, and so this morning we're going to look at what to do when, when you feel like you're at a dead end. Well, what to do when you feel like you're at this dead end when it comes to growth and change for you as an individual. When you feel like you're, you're at this dead end when it comes to growth and change, maybe in your marriage, maybe in a relationship with one of your kids. Or you're at a dead end in your career or whatever that might be. Well, what what do you do? Well, let me read the text to you this morning. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to Revelation 3, the first six verses. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack In front of you, go ahead and and grab that one and turn to Revelation. It's the book all the way in the back. says this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains. It's about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief. And you will not know the hour that I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white. And for they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed. Thus in white garments. And I will never blot uh, his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says uh, to the churches. Pretty tough words uh, for them to hear at the church in Sardis. But but if they're going to grow and they're going to change, they Needed to hear some what? Some tough words. Did did you notice here there was like no good job statement? Right? Pretty interesting. Sardis was one of those great cities in the world that at that time it was one of the oldest cities in Asia. And Sardis was the ancient capital of the Lydian Empire in about 1200 B.C. It was a strategic travel location between the six other uh, churches. You can kind of see that on the map. It was a very wealthy city. In fact, the first coins uh, that showed up were in Sardis in about the 6th century. And Sardis was situated on this hill about a thousand feet above the valley of Hermas. And they thought it was a city that could not be penetrated by its enemies. So, so it sat like on this cliff of clay and it was always kind of eroding and it was untrustworthy. And so the people of Sardis had this false confidence and this outward appearance of strength. And they were lazy when it came to defending their city. They actually thought it was impossible for the enemies to get to them. And so what do you think happens? Well, 549 BC, the Persians, right? They come take over the city. After 14 days of battle, the king of Persia, Cyrus, right? He offers a reward for anyone who can figure out how to get up the cliff. So one of his soldiers notices that there's this little pathway that goes up. The cliff that the Sardians don't protect. And so one night they walk up the path and they take over the city. And then guess what happens? 214 or 214 BC. It happens again. And what we learn from history is that the sardines, not sardines, Sardians. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. Gotta love that. Right? They were arrogant and, and and they do not do a great job of protecting uh, their cities. And then in, in the New Testament, Sardis had... Lost its earlier uh, dignity and luxury. And in 17 AD, a major earthquake causes major damage. And the towns were destroyed in 1402. And then in 1910, uh, a search begins for the city. In 1958, uh, archaeologists uncover the, the town. And today, the city of Sartre has only uh, snippets of its proud uh, history. All that being said, the secret of growth and change from the church at Sardis is don't give up, but wake up. And when you feel like you're at a dead end in life, sometimes, well, we have to wake up. And we have to see a new direction that, that God has for your life. And so in light of waking up, I, I brought my phone alarm clock. And so I'm going to set it. Uh, right now, and sometime during the service, it's going to go off, all right? And so, my point is, is that you never know exactly when God's timing is going to come about. You, somewhere uh, up in heaven, God's got some timing for your life and for my life, and he sets the time and seasons that he works in our lives, and and... and That's They're going to happen each and every day, and we don't know exactly when the alarm clock is going to go off. And because of that, we need to be aware of God's timing so we can be where he wants us to be and when he wants us to be there. And this is why he's so concerned about this church. Why? Because they had fallen asleep. Because they had fallen asleep, they didn't know what God was going to do next. And Jesus told them, I want to warn you. And we all know what it feels like to to see something that's supposed to be alive that's dead, right? Maybe you felt that in your marriage or some other relationship that you have and you're thinking it's supposed to be that way. Maybe, Maybe thinking it's not supposed to be that way. Whoops. There we go. Nope. <laughs> Can he operate the phone? <laughs> is the question. There we go. You know, sometimes when the alarm goes off, it's it's loud. So sometimes it's not. Sometimes you you have to listen closely uh, to to see God at, at work. And yet the truth of the matter is, it always goes off sooner than, than what you think, right? You didn't think it was going to go off that soon, did you? And, and if you say, you know what, I'm just going to keep getting away with this or that in my life, I want you to know that the clock is ticking, right? This morning we're going to see what Jesus has to say to the church that it's dead. And Jesus writes to this church, and I believe he writes to you and me, and he says, I want you to come to life. Hey, have you ever felt like a sense of joy in the Lord, and you have this excitement in the Lord, but it's, it's really not what you think it ought to be in your life? Maybe you're experiencing that right now, and, and maybe you pick up your Bible, and to you it's just like this boring book, and, and it's not in a, a book that is alive when you pick it up and read it. Maybe you hear everyone around you singing and you think, I really should probably be getting into this. Like, what's wrong with me? And you're just at this dead end when it comes to your growth. I want you to know this morning that Jesus cares about that. It's why he wrote to this church. It's why he wants us to hear what he has to say this morning. And so this morning, we're going to look at three prayers uh, that you and I need to pray. Three prayers on how do you take something that is seemingly dead and, and see it re- revitalized? How, how do you bring faith back to life? How do you bring joy back to life? How, how do you bring your personal growth back to life? How do you bring your marriage back to life? How do you bring your service to God back to life? Three simple prayers. Go ahead and take your note sheets out of your programs. You can follow along with me as we look and we walk through this passage this morning. The first prayer that we need to pray is uh, simply this. Lord, help me see the gaps in my life. Look at verse 1. And the angel said to the church in Sardis, "Right." The words of him who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works and you have the reputation of being alive, but yet you are dead. It helps us see the gaps between dead and alive. Right? Between dead end and and God's direction in your life. And as we read each one of these messages to the seven churches... Right? It's like easy to skip over the introduction of Jesus saying, how can I meet the need uh, that you have in your life? And so as he speaks to the church at Sardis, he tells them the words of him who has seven spirits of God and seven stars, right? Jesus holds the seven spirits. And we learned in chapter one, right, that the spirits of God in the book are a symbol for what? The Holy Spirit uh, of God working in your life. And Jesus also holds the seven stars. And we know from the book of Revelation that the stars is a symbol for uh, the messengers of God. And so Jesus is saying to this church, I know what you need. You need to hear God's message through God's spirit. And if you begin to hear the message uh, through the spirit, it brings life again. But, but what's the message? Well, Jesus said, I know your works. And here's where you need to see the gap. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So, so Jesus knows the difference between alive and dead in, in our life. Between the buzz that's out there and the reality of your life, Jesus knows the difference, right? Because you can put on all the front that you want to put on. Jesus knows the reality. And I'm sure that people who looked at this city, at this church, must have seen this respectable group of people but there was this incredible gap and all they saw was this group of people who was neither dangerous nor desirable there wasn't anything about this church to draw anybody to it Right? it had a great reputation but it didn't have any energy there, there was no life in it and you can say that about about this church. And, and this would be a good way to describe the church at Sardis. They were mild-mannered people, meaning in a mild-mannered way, striving to be more mild-mannered. Right? And then Jesus gets blunt. He, he doesn't come in and say, hey, like I know you have this reputation that you're a church that's alive and, and vibrant. What does he say? He says you might have the reputation, but the reality is you're just flat out dead. Right? He doesn't mix words here. And for some of that, we might not like that too much, right? Because Jesus is not, doesn't come into this church all positive. Like, you know, let's go guys. Let, let, let's get it going on. He, that's not what he does. He, he's pretty negative. Why? Because he wants them to see the gap, to feel the frustration. Here's where we are, but but here's where we could be, and there's a tension between those two things. Right? And if you felt that tension in your life, that's probably a good thing. Right? If you have felt the frustration of here's where I'm at as a Christian, but but really here's where I want to be as a Christian. Right? If you felt that tension that's probably a very good thing and it also can be what frustrating here's what it's like on earth but just think what heaven's going to be like right that frustration is not always pleasant but it's a good thing it reminds us about how we can grow Right? It reminds us of what God can do in our lives. And Jesus says to this church, I want you to see the gaps between your reputation and what reality is. There are a couple of other gaps that we all face between reputation and reality. Another one of those gaps might be what you say and what you do, right? There's a gap. Right? We can say great things, but it's tough to do them, right? You can say, I love the Lord, but the question is, do you really? Right, One of the ways to see if, you, if that's a reality in your life is to see if there's some emotion and heart behind that statement. Is your heart genuinely filled with love for Jesus? And if so, it's probably an indication of what we'd say about my love for Jesus and the reality of my love for Jesus, that that is actually a real thing. Right, we, we say we want to be Jesus' disciple, we, we, we want to follow Christ, but if we look at our lives, is there really any discipline in our lives? Because the root word for disciple is what? Discipline. So, so are we reading God's word? Are we praying? Are we making time for fellowship? When we say we want to be his disciple, but do we make those habits a part of our daily life? And I know it's a struggle, isn't it? I know that because I struggle too. Here's a gap that's huge for many of us. It's the gap between what your values and your actions are. Right? I say I want to get involved in serving God. That's my value. But do we make time to get involved in a ministry? Or we say we value integrity, but we find ourselves what cutting corners at times. I mean, it gets frustrating, doesn't it? Our value of purity, and yet we keep filling our minds with the junk of this world. And all of that creates frustrations in our lives. And this morning, as we hear Jesus say to this church, it looks like you're respectable, but you're dead. The challenge for us is to say, Jesus, I pray. Man, I pray that I can be honest enough and strong enough to hear that word from you. We should want to hear that because if we don't take care of the gaps, there's going to come a day that you're going to pay for it, that your family's going to pay for it, that your heart is going to pay for it. Now, this could be a positive or negative gap, but the difference between where you were and where you are. So so the question is, like, go back like five years ago, and maybe some of you here weren't believers five years ago, but many of you were, and just ask yourself, am I further along in my Christian walk, in my faith today, than I was five years ago? Right? You you can even do a one-year evaluation. And I get there's ups and downs in our growth, but have you, how, how have you been doing over the last Five years, and, and I get it, we're not perfect, and and we struggle at, at times. But but can we see any place in our lives where we can say, you know what, I feel closer to God now than, than I did five years ago? Is there anything in my life where, where I feel closer to him, where I have a sense of his presence, not maybe right away, but in the next three to five or in the last three to five years, and not talking about being perfect, but just talking about growing and allowing God to change us. Right then, there's a pride gap. I'm humble, but the truth is that I really like when people like notice me. Right there, there's a pride gap. There's a lying gap the other side of truth, right? There's a forgiveness gap, an image gap, and the list goes on and on. Lord, please help me see the gaps in my life. And I know the tendency right now might be to feel a little discouraged because you're thinking about all those gaps and and the fact that, you know, how am I going to get on the other side of that gap? Can I encourage you this morning and and tell you that just don't go down that road? Right. What we're talking about is growing to be more Christ-like, and it's easy to think, how am I ever going to get there? Well, you pray the second prayer, number two, on your outline, Lord, help me close the gaps. Help me, Lord, step by step to begin to close the gaps between what you want me to be and and where you want me to be to what I am right now. Between the struggles I face and the growth that you want to see in me. Look at verses 2 and 3. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief and I'll and you will not know what hour I come uh, against you. So, so how do you revitalize faith? How do you revitalize a relationship? How do you revitalize a sense of closeness with God? Jesus says, here's how you do it. And he walks them through it. And he walks us through it. And so the first one, he says what? Wake up. Right As I said earlier, there was this only one narrow way to get into the city of Sardis. Right, It was easy to guard. All you got to do is guard that, that one path. And you could see anybody that was coming up. And yet twice in its history, the city was taken over. And both times, it was because a group of dedicated soldiers went up the side of that cliff. And they did it at night. And when they got to the top, you know what they found? No one guarding the city. They're like, sweet, we'll just take it over. Right? And the reason they could do that was because the people of Sardis were convinced that nobody could attack them. And so they fell asleep at the wheel. And so when Jesus tells them to wake up, they get it. Right? It's a perfect example of overconfidence and arrogance that can come into our lives. It's a pride issue. And the weird part about this church is like they don't have all that problems of the other churches that we've seen. There's no false teaching here. There's no persecution going on. It's not where Satan's throne is. And yet this church is condemned by Jesus. Why? Because they have grown complacent in their faith and their faith has flat out become flabby. Right? And this church at Sardis had become part of a city that was once a great place. And at one time, it was the centerpiece of power. But by the time this letter was written, the city was instead a a pleasure city. It really was like the Las Vegas of, of Asia there. Lots of activity, lots of lights. It was all about pleasure, nothing about purpose. And you know what I found in my life? There are two points at which I'm most vulnerable to attack. And I have to be careful at these two points. One is I have to be careful at my weakest point. Right? The place where I know that I have fallen again and again. I know I have weaknesses. I need to identify them. I need to know them. Because I'm probably going to have them for the rest of my life. And just like that city... At yeah, Sardis, we need to know the weakest place of attack. And we need to protect that place. And then the second area is my strongest place. Right? The place in my life where I feel the strongest. Because that's where pride can, can get in. It's a place where you say, you know what? I might fall in this area over here, but here, I'm good. Right? I'm not falling following in, in this area. It's that place that needs to be protected because the reality is, under the right circumstances, you and I, we will fall. Right? We will fall to sin. And we need to be honest about that. We're not perfect and we need the forgiveness of Christ and the direction of Christ. All right, secondly, to revitalize, you need to strengthen what remains. Right, this is great advice. You want to wake up a marriage. You you want to wake up a relationship. You want to wake up your spiritual life. Strengthen what remains. Right. The reason why this is great advice is because we usually do the exact opposite. Right. We we feel like we're going downhill. We know we're going in the wrong direction, and, and we look at the thing that we're most depressed about. That's died. That didn't work very well. And we try to bring that back to life. And the problem is, it's what. It's dead. And Jesus says, don't worry about the thing that's gone and dead. Find that little twig that's alive on the tree. Water it. Take care of it. Spray miracle grow on that dude, right? You get that thing going again. Because that's what's going to bring the tree back to life. You don't start with what's dead. You start with what's alive. If you want to bring your marriage back to life, you don't start with the thing that you're grieving about. You find the one place in your marriage that you have a little bit of life, a little bit of happiness. And then you start there. You water it and you care for it and you strengthen what remains. In your spiritual life, if you want to grow, maybe you're here and you haven't talked to God in years. You got to find that one thing that remains. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's worship. Maybe it's reading God's word. But you pour yourself into that. The one thing that remains. And then you watch God strengthen it like only he can. What do you still enjoy in your in service to God? Maybe that's an art. You pour yourself into that. It's just good advice from Jesus about how to revitalize something. You wake up. You strengthen what remains. And then next, you remember what you have heard. Right? And God's Word has to be a part of this. You remember what you've heard from God's Word. So you pick it up again and you start to read it. And I get it. You can read the Bible without it making an impact on your life. You can do that. But I also know this. I also know when I haven't been reading the Word, I've never grown in that time. Ever. Right? The only time I grow is when I'm reading the Word on a consistent basis, right? You take truth, you take the food, you take the soil of God's Word for us to grow and for Him to make a difference in in our lives. And and when you think about it, remembering what you've heard, it's kind of like the sailboat uh, sitting out in the middle of the lake, right? You want to get from point A to point B. If you're just sitting there in the sailboat hoping that something's going to happen... Right? Hoping that you're going to start to move, but, but you never raise the sails. I don't care how much wind is out there. You're not going anywhere. You're just bobbing up and down and getting sick. Right? But, but when you're in God's word, it's like raising the sails. And, and when the wind blows and God uses the truth of his word to impact you, and then he gets you to where he wants you to go. And then the tough part is the next one. When when God begins to head you in the direction that he he wants you to go, it's one of the reasons why we don't get in the word again. Because Jesus says to us, when you read my word, you need to obey and repent. Right? They they go together. Obedience to Christ often involves repentance. And, And repentance is simply turning around and heading in a different direction. Here's the problem. If we're really honest with ourselves, we don't want to pick up God's Word and start reading again. And we really don't want to be revitalized because if we're honest, we're in our own little boat out in the middle of the lake and we're like paddling in the direction that we want to go. And we're scared to death that if we raise those sails and we let Jesus set those sails, But that he's going to lead us in an entirely different direction. And guess what? He probably will. Because he has a better plan for your life than you do. But we get satisfied with paddling where we want to go. And then the fear factor of him taking us somewhere else is hard. Because why? We're afraid of change anyway. We like the way things are. We're afraid of what God might ask us to do. Can can I tell you today, God will never ask you to do something that he isn't going to bring fulfillment and joy into your life. Just straight up. When we raise those sails of God's word and you let that drive your life, you will never regret it. And Jesus says to the church at Sardis, obey and repent. And what he's doing is, I think he's expressing to them that obedience often involves a new direction in life. It's really what repentance is all about. And it's really what Jesus wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in my life. It's really a beautiful thing. Lamentations 3 says, let let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. And so the question behind this truth of God's word and hearing it and obeying it and repenting is really what is the use of hearing it if we don't do it? Right, What's the use of, of even being here this morning if we're not going to do something about God's word? Well, what What is God telling you to do that you haven't done this morning? Are, are, are you listening? Are you listening to him? Well, where is God telling you to turn that you haven't turned yet? And the only reason that he wants to do that in your life is because he loves you and he has a new direction for you. And Jesus says there's one other thing in this process of revitalizing your life. He says you have to let go of your false security. Right? He said to Sardis, I'm coming like a thief. Right? If you don't wake up, you don't watch out, you you better start to, to, to watch out because I'm coming like a thief. And in those areas of our lives where we have a gap... And we know that it's there. We need to take some steps of growth. Because the truth is, we're, we're not going to grow overnight, right? But but we have to get started. Well, we can't allow things to say stay the same. Because eventually, either you're going to grow or you're going to decline. You're going to do one or the other. Right? It's not okay to, to just say, I'm frustrated. Right? It's not okay just to say, well, my marriage is what it is. I guess I just got to settle for that. It's not okay to say, hey, I guess my relationship with Christ isn't all that great. Well, what what can I do? You know what Jesus is saying to us today? It's not going to be the same. We need to have a healthy fear of that. And let me tell you this something this morning, a little dis satisfaction in your marriage can turn into a divorce real quick. If your marriage is not what you want it to be right now, you need to decide right now to close that gap. Right? Because it's not going to stay the same. It's either going to get better or it's going to decline, but it won't be the same. It's not okay to say, I want to grow. I know I should be reading God's word. I know I should pray. And then just to get all guilty about that, right? We need to get started with step one. One of the problems we have in spiritual growth is that we want to be spiritual giants overnight, right? It just doesn't work that way. We're going to go from not praying at all to pray, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for every country in the whole wide world, right? I haven't prayed a lick, but I'm going to pray for every country, Right? So we get these prayer plans together and we, we put them on our phones and our iPads and, and if you're old school like me, I laminate it, right? And put it in my Bible. And then what happens? A few weeks later, it's in a drawer someplace or I haven't opened up that app in who knows how long. What if we were just to start to pray for ourselves, our family, and maybe the church family? And not like three hours a day or anything. What if we just pray for like five minutes every day? And then we just let God build on that. And just watch what God does with that. Truth is, Jesus says things are going to change. This world's not going to last forever. Things won't be the same. There's a third prayer to pray. This is the confidence prayer that empowers other prayers. It's number three. Lord, I will overcome. And, And you might be thinking right now that really that should be I hope I'll overcome, right? Or I'd like to overcome. No, it says what? I will overcome. And the word for overcome is a very interesting word in, in, in the Greek. It's a word that comes from the same root word uh, of the Greek goddess of victory. A goddess that you probably all know. And if you were at Hoopfest yesterday, it was plastered everywhere. It's the god of what? Nike, right? It was everywhere. Right? People had Nike shoes and Nike shorts and Nike shirts. That they were dressed head to toe in Nike gear. Jesus is saying here, yeah, there's a way that he wants to dress us, but it's not in Nike gear. The way those are victorious in Jesus' dress, he says, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And he gives this incredible promise to those that overcome. Let me read it to you in verses 4 through 6. It says, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the question that always comes up in this passage is uh, that phrase, I will never blot his name out of The book of life. And so what do people think? They think, well, does that mean that maybe my name can be blotted out? Is that something that I should worry about? You know what? I believe the reason Jesus wrote that was to give us assurance, not the other way around. He he didn't write these verses to make us fearful. He wrote them to the church at Sardis and to us today to give us a sense of assurance in our lives. He he says, I will never blot his name out. He uses the strongest Greek word here for the word never. But there's no way you will be blotted out. And, And yet a lot of times we take this and we turn it around and we wonder if there's a way that we can be blotted out of the book of life. Let me tell you this morning, no, there is not. The second promise he says in these verses is that Jesus will recognize us before his father and his angel. It's pretty cool stuff. Now getting back to this word overcome and really kind of digesting that and understanding what Jesus is trying to, to say to, this, to us in this phrase to overcome we see it used throughout the Bible what does it mean to be the one who overcomes it's an important word it's a word that shows up in the beginning of the nation of Israel it's a word that shows up in the beginning of the church when Jesus institutes it in the beginning of Israel back in uh, Genesis chapter 32 verse 28 after Jacob had wrestled with God God's angel said this to him your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome he, he, here's that word again a sense of an overcomer as a nation and then when the church was instituted Jesus said this Matthew 16 18 and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not what overcome it Right? The church will not be overcome by anything that hell has to throw at it. It could open up its gates and throw everything it has at us, the church, and we will not be overcome because of what we have in Jesus Christ. The promise of being an overcomer to us individually, so important is. Jesus, at the end of these letters to the churches, tells them how they will overcome. Revelation 2.7, the one who conquers I will grant to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. 2.11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 2.17, the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden man and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nation. 3.5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. 3.12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my Thrawn. Did they get them up on the screen? Wow, good job. I mean, can you imagine that? Let me tell you who the overcomer is. John tells us in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you are here this morning and you are a child of God, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you've been born of God. The Bible says what? You are an overcomer. And that's a promise that you and I can hold on to. And we should. We should hold on to that tightly because it is an incredible promise. Is it not? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. God, would you help each and every one of us just to look at our lives and to see the gaps that need to be closed. And God, I want to thank you this morning that as believers in Christ, we are overcomers. We can close the gaps through you and what you do in our lives. And even though we're not perfect, and even though we sin, and even though we we, we probably should be better at at praying and being in the Word, God, I want to thank you this morning that you're not frustrated with us. that, That you love us. I want to thank you that you promised to us that we will overcome. And So, God, this morning we long for a sense of, of spiritual confidence. And God, we know that you will help us to grow and to change and, and you won't give up on us. When we know that because of your word, because he that began a good work in us will keep doing it until the day that Jesus comes back. God, thank you for that promise. Give us a great day today as we seek to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.